Sounded like a kindy teacher reading. I wonder why. Well, it's not an insult. It's what she does, man. Yeah. Best kindy teacher on the Central Coast, I reckon. Just throwing that out there. Good morning, church. My name is Rob. I'm one of the pastor's elders here. And... Look, lovely to have you visit with us if you're just visiting. And for those of you that call Wyoming Church of Christ your home church, highly encourage you to uh, join us afterwards for our uh, annual um, meeting, family meeting together as we discuss. um, Look, a a lot of times you think, oh, geez, it's going to be boring as. Um, But it doesn't have to be uh, because if you're actually, it's not just a normal meeting like you're having a business meeting for like I say a secular job or something. This is this is God's church, and therefore we're reflecting, thinking back, praising him for this last year of what he has done here at Wyoming Church of Christ, as well as looking forward and um, what he's going to do. So if you um, are excited about that, then hey, really encourage you to come. And um, if you feel, like I said, that you uh, call this church home and, and uh, want to participate, we encourage you to do so. Uh, If you're just visiting with us today, though, this is a time for uh, people that call this church home, um, and therefore, because they call it home and they have some investment into it, there's going to be things that we talk about like within a family, just like you would in a normal family, and so it may be confusing, and so we encourage you, we'd love to catch you up on it. There is some information, but this is specifically for those who really want to call this church home, okay? So, um, yeah. We've been asking this question, though, on Sunday mornings, who is Jesus? right? Who is Jesus? And what we've seen is Jesus is not an ordinary carpenter. He's not just some bloke that lived 2,000 years ago that told nice stories and, you know, got under the skin of the religious elite of that day, but he is, in fact, the Son of God who has authority. And he has authority over the disease, over the demonic, He even has the authority, or at least claims to have the authority, to make audacious comments like, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. And we've been looking at this again and again and again, who this character Jesus is. For the text that Lisa just read for us, we're going to be looking at sort of three events, as it were, or I guess three scenes, three episodes. And that is this, if you want to hang your hat on it, okay? Scene number one is the calling. That's our text, the calling. What does Jesus say? He comes up to a tax collector and he says, follow me, right? So we have the calling. And next we have, next scene that shifts. Nothing's going to come up here, so if you want to look up there, you can. Um, Everyone's just, yeah. Dan has cool flashy PowerPoints with me. Sorry, I'm not that, uh, he's younger than me, I guess. I don't know what it is. So with me, yeah. So is the calling. Uh, The second one is the celebration. And then lastly, it's the critique. The calling, the celebration, and the critique. If that sort of gives you a map of where we're going, that's where we're headed in this text before us. The calling the celebration, and the critique. So with our Bibles open, and if you don't have a Bible, we've got some in the foyer or whatever we call this thing out there. Foyer? Sure. 
We've got some for you. Um, encourage you to follow along. And as we have our Bibles open, let's pray that our hearts would be open as the Holy Spirit moves as His Word is taught. Amen? So let's pray. Lord, what we have not, give us. What we are not, make us. And what we know not, show us. For your kingdom's sake, in Jesus' name, amen. So today, as I said, that's kind of the three scenes or episodes that we're going to be looking at. It's interesting, last week it says that Jesus was in his own city, Capernaum. Now, today he he leaves Capernaum. If you leave the central coast, you're outside of your own city, right? Your own, and why would you want to leave the central coast? Exactly, why would you want to, you know? And he leaves and goes to sort of outside of the district of the coast, as it were. In this case, the coast of Capernaum. And he encounters a man who is a tax collector. Now, at first glance, this man, Matthew, is a tax collector. We sort of, doesn't really phase us, right? You, you, you open up your Bible, per se, and maybe you were trying to track along as Lisa just read. And Jesus goes on from there, and he sees some dude collecting tariffs for the government, I guess. And Jesus says, hey, bro, come and follow me. And the guy says, yeah, okay, cool, and follows him. And what's, what's the big deal, right? But you have to understand, tax collectors were the swindlers of that day. And, and how it would work is this. Yeah, and yeah, that's right. <laughs> Australians and their complaints about taxes. I absolutely love it. <laughs> well, I'm at, okay, let's, oh, let's play that fair, right? I was tempted, I actually, in my preparation, I thought I'm tempted to say something about Aussies and paying taxes, but I won't. But since someone shouted it out from the church, imagine, you think it's bad now, imagine if you, it wasn't as simple as, say, coming to the end of the year and the fiscal year where you had to pay taxes and et cetera, et cetera. Imagine it's just very random to where on Wednesday as you're headed to Gosford or you're getting on the train to head down to Sydney or whatever, there's this booth and you have to, you don't just tap an Opal card, right? You actually have to like fork up a lot of money and imagine that the guy that was taxing you was scraping a little off the top. In other words, what he did was if the tax was say $20, he said, oh yeah, they would do this here. Oh, it's $27. 27 bucks? What a ripoff. Yeah, well, look, I've got two police officers on my side here. If you want to argue with me, you can just go prison. And so you can't fight it, right? You can, but this isn't like the free world that we live in now in the Western society. If you try to argue with them, he'll have those two police officers just throw you in prison. That, that's what's going on here. As you're sort of moving about through the ancient world. These booths were set up because Rome is in charge, right? And they're taxing you. And these tax collectors, the ones that are hired by Rome, are taking a little piece for themselves. It would still happen today, I think. And that's not the type of people you'd expect to be 
heroes of the day, <laughs> to say the least, right? But that's what's going on here. And that's bad. You know, you think, man, what a swindler, right? But imagine if the person at Gosford Station, as it were, before you tap the opal card, imagine the person doing that is your family member. Your own son, your daughter, your niece, your nephew, your aunt, your uncle, and they know how much money you make. And they know that you're not actually being honest with your tax, which we know all Australians are honest with their taxes. And they, and they know how much, right? That, the, that you should be giving. And so they say, oh, come on, 27's not enough. Cough up a little bit more. You'd look at that person and you'd say, wow, th what a traitor, right? Th this person betrayed me. Now that's just us in a Western world at Gosford Station. But, but how about if you're a Jew at this point in time, God had promised to give you a land, your land. And he said, if you're faithful, I will keep you in this land. And guess what happens? Rome comes and conquers this land. So now you're under the oppression of a foreign power who you view as an enemy. Got it? And you're taxed by that foreign power. And the person collecting the tariffs for the government is actually your own flesh and blood doing it. A full-blooded Jew who's an agent of Rome. What a scumbag. Right? What a, what a traitor. That's who Matthew is. And it's interesting, really stunning, Jesus recruits this type of person become one of his followers. You would think that Jesus would see someone who's a traitor, who's a sellout, and say, now, these are the kind of people. You know, I've talked a little bit about hell. Well, let me tell you, it's getting warmed up for guys like this. No. But he looks at this man and he says, come and follow me. R.T. France, known commentator, says, for Jesus to call such a man to follow him was a daring breach of etiquette, a calculated snub to conventional ideas of respectability, which ordinary people, no less than Pharisees, might be expected to balk at. And you know, Matthew might have been doing quite well. Sure, he was being dishonest, but he was doing really well probably making quite a good living for himself. He would have been driving the Bentley chariot style. Right? He, there would have been rap songs about him. No doubt. So he wasn't looking for Jesus. Jesus goes looking for him, though. You understand that? Jesus goes looking for Matthew. And when he calls, Matthew responds. Look at verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. This is an effectual call. 
Do you know what I mean by that? Uh, sometimes you'll hear people say they found Jesus. And I know what they mean. Or perhaps in the news, you'll hear people say, and you, if you follow in the news, you might hear this recently, some celebrity found Jesus, or this person who's in jail or in prison found Jesus. I understand that's a way of talking about someone becoming a Christian. But when you think about it, they didn't find Jesus. Jesus wasn't lost. They were, and he found them. The fact that Matthew, a guy this bad, a liar, a traitor to his own family, was sought after and saved by Jesus, proves that nothing is impossible. Nobody is outside the Lord's reach of salvation. Jesus pursued someone who was looked down upon by society, who was considered to be an outcast, and he makes him his follower. Jesus came for sinners. Jesus can do the same for you, friend. There's no sin so deep that puts you beyond his reach. There's no sin which separates you from his power and grace and love to save a sinner like you. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Who is it in your life today, though, friend, that you would say this person would never, ever come to Jesus? I think this text is clear. There is an effectual call. The Bible says in Romans 8 that those the Lord predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. If God calls them and sets his love on them, they will be saved. Who is a person that in your life that you think, no way, maybe it's a son, maybe it's a daughter, maybe it's a spouse. My son plays soccer, and I've intentionally built friendships with the other parents of that soccer team so that I can share about Jesus with them. I texted a guy, actually just this morning, I was thinking about him, I wanted him to hear this, texted him last night but I texted him this morning and said hey man I'd love for you to come to church this morning alright right, this is a guy that said to me I might come but the church is going to catch you on fire if I show up right um, and I said bro the church is going to catch on fire like if any, anyone's going to catch on fire it's going to be me but this is, a, this is a dude who has never been to church in his life so he'll, he'll have like, he might actually come next week. But I, if the Lord sets his love on him and the Lord so moves in this man's heart, he can be saved. No one's outside of the reach of God's grace. No one. And isn't that encouraging? Matthew, the tax collector, is an example that when God calls people, it is his work. It is an effectual call. As we look at the text before us, though, no doubt Matthew's pretty blown away 
that the Lord would say, out of all people, right, you come follow me. And so, what does he do next? What, what does he do next? What's, what's, what's his response? Well, if you've been radically saved by Jesus, what is the appropriate thing to do? Well, you want to share about this with all your friends, right? And why not have a big bash, have a big party, invite them, invite your friends. I mean, if nothing else, they'll come for the free food. And hey, they get to hear about Jesus, from Jesus himself. It's a great opportunity when Jesus has saved us and we are following him to open up our homes, to share the message of Jesus with people. It's a great opportunity to notice there's Matthew, there's hospitality there and there's evangelism. Those two can go so smoothly together. You, you can invite your neighbors over and say, hey, just, why don't you at least just come have tea with me or have dinner with me? Or as the holidays approach, hey, you know, we're, we're doing this thing over at my house where we're going to talk about what Christmas is about. And we're having some food. Come, come join us and, and you can ask me about it. It's a great opportunity. Open your home up. If you have a home, it's a gift. You're not entitled to that. And God's gift to you the fact that you say, oh, no, nah, I, I worked. Yeah, who gave you the brain to work? Who provided the money for you to have that home? God did. It's not your home. It's his. So it's more the reason for you to open that place up as a platform, as an environment for evangelism. And if they won't come to your home, they'll sneak into theirs. But Matthew, he invites people. And likely, tax collectors and sinners, misery loves company, right? Birds of a feather flock together. So likely the clientele that's going to be showing up aren't, <laughs> aren't the moral exemplars of the day. These are the people that you go, whoa, really? Her? No. And Matthew says, come on. I know you've been hearing about this guy, Jesus. He's, he's, you know, he's going to be at my house. It's interesting, though, that we're not sure if it's Matthew's house. Look at verse 11. You see what I mean? It could be Matthew's house, but look at verse 11. Verse 10, sorry. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Um, if you're using the NIV, um, it actually forces you to say Matthew's house, but it, that's not in the original. Don't rip up your Bible if you have an NIV. There's nothing wrong with an NIV. But it, it, in the original, it just says he was dining at table in the house. Very well could be Matthew's house. Could be Jesus' house. Might be. We're not sure. It's hard to imagine, though, the Pharisees coming under the roof of someone so despised as a tax collector. Regardless of whose pad it was, though, it's not really the point, is it? What sa really stands out is this motley crew of outcasts having a party, and in the center of it all is none other than Jesus himself. But stop for a second. Why are the Pharisees 
so crabby about that. In the ancient world, sharing a meal with someone was to associate or identify with them. So here's this religious guru rubbing shoulders in a convention of scumbags. The worst of the worst. You see what message that might send? You see how, how scandalous that might appear at first glance? These folks have a reputation, and believe me, it's not a good one. When I first started dating April, one of my high school teachers warned April's mother, you laugh, that I had a reputation of being a reckless kid. In fact, she said I was likely one of her worst students that she ever had. And as she sat there with April's mom, she did say this, though, near the end of the conversation. She said, you know, I will say, though, his last year of high, uh, grade 12, something radically changed in his life. He, he points it to having a relationship with Jesus or something like that. But he was not the same person. And it's true, friends. It's true. I, I was a loose cannon, a nasty scumbag to say the least. That's just not me being hard on myself either, by the way. Like, oh no. Do, 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 do you understand? L listen, my parents, okay, I didn't come, oh, you grew up in this nice Baptist home, this good American preacher boy. My parents met at a raging, pot-smoking keg party. Do you know a big keg of alcohol, if you don't know what that is? Big keg stands, the whole line. Okay, my dad approaches my mom and says, hey, you're pretty hot, no joke. Can I bum a cigarette off of you? It's not for me, it's for my friend, which it was for my dad. Okay, this, he lied. Way to go, dad. <laughs> but my mom thought he was cute. He had long, this is, you know, 70s, long blonde hair, surfer guy, right? And then I was born not long after that. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, thanks a lot, Colin. He said, you haven't changed much. And I say all of that not to glorify that lifestyle by any means. Because I mean, honestly, ask my parents now, and they, they're not like, woo, that's great. There's hurt, pain, there's, there's that, that um, living that way. What, you know, it might have seemed glorious at the time, but sin has consequences, and it hurts, and there's, and there's regret. And, and my parents are no longer even married, and there's, there's oh, a lot of baggage there a whole lot of baggage. But I, I say all of that because Jesus set his love on me growing up in that context. Who even when I started, when I started going to church, I thought it was the biggest joke in the world. Like to become a Christian was to commit intellectual suicide, essentially. And I wanted nothing to do with God. But as I continued to read the Bible, I was struck by the fact that God is holy and I have offended God because of my sin. And the only way that I could ever be forgiven and saved, and by the way, I didn't, I didn't have a guilty conscience because you know that's what the new atheists say about us, right? 
you guys, you guys are the people with guilty consciences. And it's sort of like cosmic catharsis to help your pathetic selves and your guilty consciences. That's why you're Christians. I didn't have a guilty conscience. I was actually quite proud of my sin. Romans says that they invented ways of doing evil. Boom, right here. I was very happy about it. So I wasn't plagued with this, oh, I'm just a bad person. I was like, yeah, you should actually, you know, if anything, you're worse than me. And, you know, I, I could go on and on and on. I wasn't plagued with a guilty conscience, you see. But once I started understanding who God is, that, I've, that my sin has directly offended God, then I am pricked in the conscience, realizing that I rightly would be judged by God because of my sin. You see the difference? The Lord was working in my life. Jesus, friend of sinners, loved me ere I knew him. Draw me, drew me with his cords of love, tightly bound me to him. Round my heart still closely twined the ties that none can sever. For I am his and he is mine forever and forever. I'm still amazed that the Lord has held me and kept me in his grace. I should have spiritually imploded a long time ago and said, stuff it, I'm out of here. I want nothing to do with Christianity. But the Lord has kept me by his grace. He has kept me by his grace. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, nor height, nor depth, nor angels, nor demons, nor anything. If you are saved, friend, you will be saved to the end. Jesus came for sinners. Even the worst of sinners. And here is our Lord in action, dining with these scumbags. But this was not a picture you'd expect to see. It's certainly not one the religious elite expected to see. Which is why they're crabby. But who do they bellyache to? Not to Jesus. Notice in verse 11. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Hmm? Do you catch how they address the disciples with their complaint and not with Jesus himself? How brave, right? They're not really asking as much as they're accusing, though. Basically, they're tattletelling on Jesus. <clears throat> Excuse me, can, uh, can't you see what your leader is doing? And the Lord overhears this bickering and he responds to the Pharisees with a devastating rebuke, which is really the centerpiece here. And this comes now the critique. Looked at the calling, now the critique in verse 12. Verse 12. But when he heard this, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. What a thing to say to the learned scholars of the day. Do you see that? 
Go and learn what this means. To a group who claims to know their Bibles inside and out, who prided themselves in their knowledge, Jesus says, hey boys, you need to go back. You need to go back to the basics. You need to have a Bible study and you need to understand this truth. And then he quotes Hosea 6. Look at verse 13. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. He's saying, you know what the problem is, boys? You've missed two crucial things. Number one, you've missed the effects of sin. And second, you've missed the Old Testament. And it popped like that when he said it. That's a sting, right? You've missed why these people are as bad as they are because of sin. Additionally, you've missed like the, the huge, huge truth in the Old Testament. Even though you say you study it. Go back and learn what this means. Now I want to camp out on just those two points as we finish up our time. First, the effects of sin. Notice in verse 12 again, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. When describing a spiritual reality or a spiritual condition, it's interesting that Jesus uses a, a medical analogy, isn't it? This was a day where most people who got sick died. Medically speaking, physicians had very limited options and treatments to cure people. Those that were healthy were strong. They had visible strength, whereas those who were sick obviously did not. So clearly it wasn't the strong that needed a physician, but the sick. And you might be thinking, okay, well, yeah, that's the same today. What's the big deal? It's, of course. But it causes you to pause here, though. When you think about this last week's passage, last Sunday if you were here, the healing of a crippled man, the healing of the paralytic, Jesus uses a medical analogy following a medical miracle. Remember healing of a paralytic? The sick need a doctor, and Jesus healed them. Likewise, the sinful need forgiveness, and Jesus healed them. It is precisely those who are sick who need a doctor. It is precisely those who are sinners who need a savior. You see, the Pharisees, if they understood sin and what it does to people, if they grasped God's just punishment and wrath concerning sin, they would rejoice that these sinners are gathering around Jesus. Because Jesus came for these types of people. But let me say this. I think there's a huge misreading in evangelicalism today with this idea. Because Jesus is not going to the outcasts, going to the scumbags, and just hanging out, propping his feet up and saying, you guys just live however you want. I'm not here to judge you. I'm just here to be your friend. As, after all, Jesus friend of sinners. And you know what? At the end of the day, live how you want. It's all good, baby. That's not, that's a false caricature of Jesus. What happens with the woman who's caught in the act of adultery? She's dragged before Jesus and the religious leaders say she deserves to die. And everyone camps out on, let him who was out sin cast the first what? Stone, right? Read the rest of that story. Because 
after all the stones drop and people walk away, Jesus comes up to her, says, now go leave your life of sin. Jesus didn't say, hey, it's cool with you, it's cool with me. Remember, I'm just the guy that's just loving on sinners. And so I think we misappropriate this idea of Jesus, friend of sinners, in that we think that what Jesus wants us to do is just be around sinful people, just keep loving on them, just be there to bless them, you know, the the worst of the worst, and he's happy about that because he loves those type of people. Jesus hangs out with sinners for a purpose. Jesus calls sinners, those who are sick, to repentance. Jesus doesn't just hang out with sinners. And I think the reason that some people get that impression is because they don't want to grow in their own holiness. And so, because they love their sin and they love to hang out in all the places where all the sinners are at and live like those sinners, then they can pass it off with this text and say, hey man, Jesus was friend with sinners. That's what I'm doing here. Yes, yes, you become all things to all people, but you don't become like them. When Jesus is hanging out with sinners, he's not sinning with sinners. He's calling sinners to repentance. Wouldn't it be strange, a strange caricature of Jesus is he's hanging out with these sinners, dropping F-bombs and getting drunk. You'd be like, that's, he's sinning, which disqualifies him to pay for my sin because I'm that dude. Jesus is not sinning with sinners. Jesus goes to sinners with intentionality, with the message. The kingdom of heaven is at near, therefore repent. You remember that, what he said earlier in Matthew? You will name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus goes with intentionality to these sinners. So that's what he's saying here. Jesus is on mission to save them. So he says, you don't understand the effects of sin though, guys, because if you did and you understood that they were going, these people, just like yourselves, are going to meet the wrath of God unless they turn, you'd be rejoicing at this. But you've missed it. Now, you've also missed the Old Testament. You weren't paying attention in your Sunday school. That's why he quotes Hosea 6, 6. Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. See that there? Matthew 9. He says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Now, in Hosea's time, the children of Israel had done everything they were told to do in terms of sacrifice, and God says, I'm not receiving it because you're bringing your sacrifice without confessing your sins. You're treating this like insurance because you think by doing this, you can prove to be righteous, which the whole point of the sacrifice is for you to come as a sinner and confess that you're not righteous. So by quoting this verse, Jesus is saying, look, they didn't get it then and you're not getting it now. And that's why he says, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. We know, the Bible says, that there is no one righteous. No, not one. But tongue-in-cheek there from Jesus. Can you feel it? 
Oh, I didn't come to call the righteous. No one's righteous. These Pharisees aren't righteous. No one is righteous. No, not one. So look, if, if, if as I've talked about, I said that no matter what sin you've done, no, you've been outside, you, you're not outside of the reach of Jesus, hey, welcome to the club. You're in a room full of sinners. But no one is outside of his reach, and that's why he says there, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. Pharisees. I came to call people like you. Liars. I came to call people like you. Those that have had an abortion in their life. I came to call people like you. Those that have had sex outside of marriage. I came to call people like you. Those that have lusted after others in pornography. I came to call people like you. Those who cheat, like Matthew did, on their taxes and lie to the government. I came to call people like you. I'm calling you to repentance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. You see, anyone who has a sense of their need, anyone who has a sense of their sin, anyone who has a sense that they need forgiveness can come to Christ and will be forgiven and saved. Jesus, friend of sinners, a crown of thorns you wore for me, bruised for my transgressions, pierced for my iniquities, the wrath of God that I deserve was poured out on the innocent. He took my place, my soul to save. Now I am his. Will you embrace that forgiveness today? Will you come to Jesus? I pray that you do. Let's pray. Lord, now we pray that those that have sensed their need, that they've offended you, that they deserve your just punishment, your rightful punishment, would you grant them faith now? Lord, would you call them to follow you as, as Jesus, you did so many years ago to this man, Matthew, this tax collector, the worst of the worst of his own day. As you granted him faith, would you do the same here for in, in 2019 for those sitting here in Australia this morning in November. Lord, you know that you are sovereign over all things. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.